Welcome everyone to another FDEX podcast brought to you by the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. I'm your Commissioner of Agriculture, Nikki Freed, and February is an important month for Americans. It's Black History Month, a time set aside each year to honor and celebrate the contributions of Black Americans to the history, culture, and progress of the United States. We are reminded every February that Black history is American history. Since 1976, every U.S. president has officially designated the month of February as Black History Month, and this year's theme is the Black family, representation, identity, and diversity. To mark this occasion, I'm joined by State Senator Chevron Jones, someone who I'm proud to call a friend, a servant of his community, and a fierce advocate in the legislature for equitable education, civil rights, racial justice, and equality for all Floridians. A graduate of the Florida A&M University and Florida Atlantic University, a member of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, the executive director of Florida Reading Corps. He served in Florida House of Representatives for eight years and now has made history as the first openly LGBT member of the Florida Senate. I could go on and on about my friends, but I'll let you take it from here. I'm so honored that you could be joining us here today, Chev. Thank you so much, Commissioner Free, and I really appreciate you for having me on your podcast today. And uh, for those who don't know, my name is Chevron Jones, and I am a state senator from Senate District 35, which covers uh, parts of Broward and Miami-Dade County. Uh, and it's such a pleasure to be able to serve in the Florida Senate. Uh, being in the legislature now for the uh, for the last nine years uh, has been a true honor, uh, coming from uh, the background as an educator. Uh, and now serving still in education and still fighting for those same things. Uh, it's definitely good to be on here today, especially during this time, uh, knowing that uh, Black History Month is definitely near and dear to my heart. And I think it's extremely important for us to be able to talk um, about the history and how Black history is American history and our achievement and so much more that I know for a fact uh, the African-Americans have contributed to this country and to this state. So looking forward to talking today. Absolutely. And Senator, thank you again for joining this podcast on Black History Month. You really, uh, your accomplishments and, and watching you fight uh, for your constituents, and you really do believe it, it's not just the constituents of your own district, but really the entire state when you fight and you fiercely fight. Um, so just so honored to be your friend and, and the fact that you're joining us here today. When people see you, they see a young, educated, successful Black man. <laughs> that has accomplished so many firsts. You've been involved in your community from the very beginning, continuing the legacy of your father, Dr. Eric Jones, who served as the first mayor of the city of West Park. For those who may not be familiar with you, can you share just a little bit more about what makes you who you are? Oh, that's an interesting question because uh, my, um, you know, my, my mom and dad were, uh, were and are still um, big contributors to who I am today and what they raised my brothers and I to be being raised in a very conservative um, uh, Christian household, um, the values that my my parents uh, taught us, they were simple. It was love and service. That's what it was. It was for love for our community, love for each other, and love for every human being, no matter who that person was. Uh, but that also included the service portion of it, um, because my 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 dad was was very 
um, um, strict on how we gave back to our community uh, because my brothers and I, we 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 had uh, my parents gave they, they bought us what we want. We went where, where we wanted to go for vacation, uh, and so uh, my dad wanted us to to know the value of service, giving back to those who didn't have. So every Saturday we would wake up in the uh, in the in the morning and we would go feed the homeless on Saturdays, and on Sunday, of course, we were at church. Uh, but even after church, he would send us off to go to the nursing home to go sing with some of the deacons uh, to uh, to to the elderly who were in um, in, in facilities. Uh, and so, you mean service is something that you mean I was I was raised and bred in, and I don't take it take it for granted. Um, take it for granted, excuse me. And so that's why I think I'm so I'm I'm so um, uh, serious about my service in the community because it's 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 who I've uh, is what who I was raised to be uh, since I've been a child. Absolutely incredible, Chevin. I actually didn't know that that's what you guys did in the weekends. And, and it's a, incredible our, how our paths cross and, and the service that we've done because I did the same thing growing up. Uh, every mm -hmm. single weekend, I was on Saturday nights uh, going with uh, my friends around Miami-Dade and picking up extra bagels and uh, fruits and vegetables. And then on Sunday mornings, we would go down to Overtown and to downtown mm -hmm. Miami. And we had our own soup kitchens that we started on Sundays. So while you were at church, um, I was, you know, uh, down, the, down the street, I might've been a little bit older, but, uh, down the street, um, and, you know, really, you know, trying to serve and that, and that too has been ingrained in me since I was a child that yes. I was, uh, had such opportunities in life that others didn't have and, and having, you know, opportunity to have gone to college and law school and, and it's ingrained in me to, that we have an obligation to give back. And That's right. that too is part of who I am and, and every single day. But, you know, really thank you for all the work that you've done and continue to do. So let's take a step back, if you don't mind, to provide some context of all of those accomplishments that I keep bragging about. Um, you've done and seen a lot so far in your life. I know you started as an educator, uh, which is such an essential role in shaping the future of our state. Even with all of these successes, can you speak of some of the challenges that you faced, uh, you know, because of who you are? Um. <clears throat> So I'll say this. So as far as as far as like from systemic from a systemic racism aspect, I'll give you a story. When I, so when I first started teaching um, back in two thousand and seven, I'll never forget walking into uh, this classroom. I was teaching AP Bio, um, AP Bio and AP Chemistry, uh, and the students were was very receptive. They were they were excited about it and. Uh, they were they were just happy to have a young teacher, a uh, young black teacher that because I was um, I, I taught at a predominantly predominantly white school when I uh, first started teaching uh, um, and then it started turning mixed later on. But when I first started, it was predominantly white. Uh, and yeah, during the open house, which back in the back in 2007, the open house was about two or three weeks after school had started. Um, I, I, I'll never forget a parent walk me into the classroom and the parent says um yes uh, do you know when the teacher the teacher will arrive oh. and i said i said I, oh i'm the teacher and the, the parent literally says impossible i oh, said no nope. I, I said I'm, I'm the teacher uh for 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 this class he said, my child never told me this <clears throat> i said i said yes well i'm the teacher so he went on to sit down and the parent went on to challenge me, like as I was going through the class, through like the, the syllabus and all of that stuff. 
the parent were going to like challenge me the entire time in front of all the other parents that pertains to like my credentials and being able to teach AP chemistry and assuring that uh, his child was going to uh, get the maximum learning that she needed that school year. Uh, so that was my real in the in the profession. That was my first experience of that type of like blatant like uh, like racism that just just hit me. Uh, and then I even spoke to the student years later, and she expressed to me that I mean her dad was never happy with me as being her her teacher, but you know I was one of her best teachers. Uh, and but you mean those those type of experiences, <clears throat> uh, although it happened to me on in that aspect. It's happened to so many people on a totally different aspect. It happens within our criminal justice system. It happened with black men on on the street with police officers. Uh, and I, although mine didn't cause for me to be arrested or my life to be taken uh, taken away, but there are other instances where individuals are not afforded that same type of uh, leeway as that was. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, as you know, I've spent a lot of time, you know, educating in myself and, and learning. And, and as you know, I was a past public defender and mm -hmm. I, I saw, I saw it firsthand, you know, that, yep. you know, I, I was living at the time in Gainesville, Alachua County, which is not a, I mean, there's a significant, you know, black and brown population, but, you mm -hmm. know, it's still very, very small in comparison. Uh, mm -hmm. And yet my caseload was 95% black and mm -hmm. you know just seeing that the differences even between the, the offers that I would receive from the state attorneys compared to a private attorney that would be able to be afforded to somebody else um, mm -hmm. and just seeing the the, the racism that, that that's involved and, and seeing you know where the cops target communities um, mm -hmm. and it just is this cycle <clears throat> that you know I, I vowed when I was in the PD's office to, to try to fix um, but it, it's bigger than just me and really takes all hands on deck for us to really kind of start to to peel back those layers and, and try to to write a lot of history of wrong so that's right and yeah. uh, and, and and it's about having conversations like this and mm -hmm. really trying to, to open up dialogue and to really truly understand I'm, I'm like sitting here um in front of my my bookshelf and i and i look back and i have a book that i took when i was um that i read when i was in political science in my master's course called race manners and it's all about putting yourself in the foot of uh, in the actual shoes uh, of a black man um, as he travels to work and as he travels, you know, to his home and going to the store. And it's a it's an eye opening book that, you know, like I said, you know, 20 plus years later, it's still on my bookshelf because it had such an impact on, on who I am as a person. But um, well, so what's the name of that book again? Race Manners, M-A-N-N. Race Manners. Yep. Got it. Yep. <laughs> um, so anybody who's listening, it's a fantastic, it's an, it's a, it's an easy read, um, but it's really uh, first real eye opening experience when I was in college, you know, reading it from, you know, from the shoes of, of a black man, um, you know, just again, it was very eye opening and, and really has just hit me um, that I can't ever walk in your shoes by any stretch of imagination, but um, at least a, a little bit of an understanding and sympathy, empathy and, and compassion to want to make changes. Though many of you, many would agree that that we have made some some progress really over time in the civil rights movement and the battle against racism, you know all that you've shared highlights that that we've got so much more work to do. Uh, the civil rights movement wasn't that long ago after all. As someone who understands education, um, would you agree that the work towards progress that we've got to start with education? How, how can we make sure that we don't forget where we started so we know where we're headed towards as a society? 
Well, I think I think the the, on, the only way we're going to be able to do that is I think America is going to have to be honest with ourselves, uh, and that's going that includes us making it clear that the American story does is is not a true story without Black history. So if we're not if, if we're not going to be honest about it, then I mean, don't tell the story at all. American history is black. Black history is American history. Uh, that goes from the inventions all the way to just not the civil rights movement. It, I mean, it goes I mean, all the way to how uh, African-Americans got here to this land and uh, the contributions um, to this land. I mean, we can take it all the way down <clears throat> to the uh, uh, to Bahamians who came here um, from, from the Bahamas to help, to help build railroads up and down here within the state of Florida. So, I mean, black history is American history and to tell the story, you can't exclude it. I see that the, <clears throat> one, of the rep, one of our representatives have filed legislation um, to talk about true patriotism and civic engagement and all that. Uh, I, I mean, it's my, and I know it's being carried by one of my colleagues in the Senate. And, and I wanna, if we're gonna talk about American history, we need to be clear about what American history is and tell the ch our children the truth about what American history is. I, I could not agree more. You know, in, in my department, I felt that serving as, you know, as commissioner of agriculture presented such an opportunity to fight uh, for equity and equality. And, and that's what I started doing as, as soon as I took office too. Um, wanted to make sure that we have more concrete steps and just reinstating the tradition uh, of a cabinet proclamation honoring the observance of, of Black History Month. Although I'm proud that we did do that. Um, I think there's just so much more that we can do to promote equality every single day. In fact, one of my first acts in office was appointing a director of diversity and inclusion, um, who I've empowered to seek out partnerships and create real opportunities to raise awareness of agriculture and communities of color. Uh, we've also established a diversity and inclusion work group, uh, which recommended policy changes from our department, um, from new restrictions on law enforcement procedures, on use of force, to updates to our discrimination protections and our core values. And, and just recently, I asked the Biden administration to take several necessary steps to increase inclusion and equity uh, in agriculture nationwide uh, with our state federal partnership plan. All of this and, and more ha has been in response to the fact that communities of color have not had a seat at the table or a voice at the table in agriculture and industry that involves science and the environment, business, technology, innovation, and, and so many other disciplines. And really, we want to be able to, to kind of work together and bring everybody to the table. We can really continue to keep our country growing. Yeah, well, that, and I think that's, that's true. I mean, considering you mean, the number of uh, Black farmers in Florida uh, as a fraction of what what it was a century ago, I think it makes it extremely clear that we that we're moving in a uh, in a positive uh, direction. And I think you I mean as we continue to to do that, I mean these partnerships like with the with the White House and um, and excuse me, even even trying to work along with our our state um, uh, leaders and uh, and how we can increase. Black um, black farmers uh, and their participation in the agriculture and the STEM field. It's going to take a uh, effort from all of us because what we're seeing now is young people not wanting to get into science, technology, engineering, and math. Many of them want to go into entrepreneurship, and all of that is fine, great. But if we're not promoting STEM education, uh, you know, years from now, these 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 jobs are going to be um, uh, uh, going to be absent 
of individuals who are knowledgeable of this. I even look at the classroom and I know some of the superintendents are asking about getting qualified teachers to be able to teach the sciences because individuals are who individuals who are going into the teaching field are just not qual um, qualified to teach in these areas. And so if we're not incentivizing children when, after they graduate to, to, to go into the STEM fields, uh, I mean, that causes a great um, burden on our, um, our, our, our work market years from now. And I think we, it also causes us to be able to look at like Florida and University uh, and other HBCUs, not just in Florida, but across the country to attract them to Florida. Uh, to be able to get that talent here because we're going to need it. And uh, it's, it's going to be very important that we invest in it now. It's very important that we invest in it now. Absolutely. And certainly we, we see that a lot, it, you know, as agriculture technology advances more, uh, it's really actually pretty cool. The stuff that we're seeing all over the world, all mm -hmm. of that is needing science-based and technological backgrounds. And so really you're absolutely right. You know, that we need to be using a lot more um, emphasis in our schools to educate these children and, and these kids about what opportunities there are out there. And, and, mm -hmm. and that's why we do a lot of partnerships with Ag in the Classroom, really trying to open the eyes of so many of our, our kids uh, to how amazing agriculture is and what a great uh, you know, profession to have, and really is something that uh, people can, uh, you know, really fight to get involved in and, and, and find, you know, such, um, you know, inspiration and passion that they really can, you know, have a successful profession and career. And so uh, I know it's something that we do every single day to, to really promote, um, and a lot of it in the rural communities, but a lot even mm -hmm. in our urban communities too. And Black History Month reminds us that there's just more to do in general to support our neighbors of color. I know that as we look to a, a post-pandemic future, hopefully we're going to get there sooner than later. Um, we, we, we will get there, I promise. Um, yeah. We'll continue to see so many hardships um, that are really are so disproportionately, you know, greater uh, in our communities of color. And so I can't help but think about what Black Floridians have been going through. Dealing with so much oppression pre-pandemic already takes, takes such a toll. Um, I cannot imagine how much greater that burden is now and the fallout um, since, since COVID-19. And taking that into consideration, what steps can we take personally as allies to help support our Black neighbors and our friends? Well, I mean, I think the the one thing that you we that allies can do is listen um, to uh, to African Americans uh, or Blacks because people uh, some people don't like to be considered African Americans, uh, and so I think you, you, if you as you listen to uh, the Black and or African American community, um, I think it it creates a space to where uh, to where we know that you're not that. No, let me say this: you're actively listening, like. You're actively listening and realizing that you know what there's more to do even after the conversation because a lot of times individuals listen <clears throat> but there's no action that takes place after that's why i'm so i'm i'm also not a fan of like these uh constant uh um uh, panel discussion with without actions and i always tell my staff that, <clears throat> that before you put me on a panel tell me what is the action steps that they're going to be doing after to ensure that what we talk about uh, becomes reality in some type of type of way because we can become talking heads to where no transformation takes place, and so I think that you I mean becoming better listeners uh, uh, is 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 one area, but I also believe that you know in in order for us to really to deal with like with this whole uh, COVID mindset the COVID, the COVID era that we're in right now, 
you know, I think COVID ha- no, and I think COVID has shined a light on the uh, the health disparities that has been looming within the Black community for so long. Uh, and so now that we are here, uh, and we are now trying to convince African Americans to get the vaccine, and and I, and I like I shared with uh, the leadership uh, of uh, from the Department uh, of Emergency Management, uh, and also shared with the governor's office that you know we we have to make sure that yeah you know, how we're doing it is a way to show them to share with the black community that you know, this is something that is going to not only help all of us but you know what you what we're going to do differently later how are you going to make healthcare different after all of this is said and done because you can't force individuals to get a vaccine who you haven't provided healthcare to for years <laughs> and you can give yeah. them access right. to it. <laughs> and so that, so the, it's, it's, it's a problem. So we, we have to be very strategic about how we're doing that and not just putting it in churches because all black folks don't go to church, right? So right. you have to just go to the community centers. You have to go to the health centers. You have to go to these areas. Uh, so we just have work to do um, in, in, in this area of inequality that we're, that, we're, that we're dealing with when it comes to blacks and African-Americans. Yeah, and, and I think, Chev, you know, what COVID has done is really shine the light of all of the the holes in our government, uh, you know, the, the holes in the education system, because look, when, when you know, school shut down and um, people had to go to, you know, homeschooling or, or you know, virtual learning, not everybody right. had the same capacity, you know, parents, right. that, you know, when you're home, not everybody's got, you know, a parent that can sit by the computer with them and, and go through lessons with them, or some kids don't have computers at home or internet at home. And so it really ch- showed that the, just the disparagement between different communities on each level, education, you're right, the healthcare system, it showed a, a huge spotlight on the healthcare system. And then, you know, another issue that I've been talking about for, you know, two and a half years is food insecurity. And that was, you know, highlighted even more so dealing with watching what was happening at our food banks, but then having the vaccines only at Publix's showed, you know, well, not everybody's got access to Publix. You know, certain communities don't have Publix's for for 10 plus miles from them. In in Palm Beach County, in, in the Glades, it takes 45 minutes to drive to the nearest food store. And it's not even necessarily a Publix. So even the vaccine rollouts and, and Publixes, you know, really again showed, you know, put a, a spotlight on, you know, even food insecurity. And I think that what COVID has been able to do is now tell us, okay, now we got to fix all these problems. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've been, you know, mm-hmm. you know, strings and bandages, you know, the last fifty years on some of these issues, but now. Um, we got to fix them. This is this is no yeah. longer an, an option, yeah. you know. So you just start seeing these things, and you can't you can't ignore it. You can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you it's right, right there in your face. So, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. really, it's just it. so much, so much that our state needs to do, um, which to me creates a lot. So much. <laughs> we don't have time on this podcast how much our state needs, um, but really creates a lot of opportunity for people wishing to make a difference. Um, can yeah. you tell a little bit about what you currently were working on on those listening and, and should watch out for? Yeah, so I guess uh, two things that um, that we're working on. Uh, one of them that I know will is a I believe is a retention tool for here in our states. Two of them actually. Uh, that's the um, uh, the internship tax credit um, that we that I'm working on. Representative Dan Daly is carrying it over in the House. Um, and the internship tax credit all it says is that if if a company decides uh, they take in a student intern and this intern works um, for a period of time, 
um, that you know, at the end of that internship, if the if the if the business decides to keep that intern, the business will receive can receive a tax credit up to I think it's two thousand dollars per intern um, for the next taxable year. Uh, and this is to begin to help us keep good talent here within the state of Florida. It has a bill hearing um, <clears throat> coming up. So I'm looking forward to that. And then we have the <clears throat> Florida Sunshine State Scholarship, <clears throat> which is also a intern, a, excuse me, is also a retention bill. And that that is basically paying the last dollar for dollar money that might be owed for a student who is attending a college, university, or trade school. Um, that if once they go, if once they've exhausted all other methods of payment um, to find uh, to financial aid services at, the, at that at that institution. Whatever they can't pay, the state will pay the rest of it. And you know, whatever, and, and then their only payback to the state is that they have to remain in the state to work for the amount of time that they receive the scholarship. So if you did it one year, you stay here for one year, you did it two years, so on and so forth. And so both of those are those are bills, I believe, that right now to I mean it's a step in the direction to avoid people trying to work with not having good talent leave the state of Florida and keeping that talent here. And the last thing is to deal with Black History Month, we filed a resolution um, condemning um, white nationalism and white supremacy, uh, condemning white supremacy. And um, uh, I'm carrying it over in the Senate and Representative Felicia Robinson is carrying it over in the in the House. So, uh, and that's just us making a statement, letting it be known that, that we as a state condemn white supremacy. Awesome. Awesome, awesome work. You always uh, cease to amaze me all the things that you do and, and really again, have this big picture ideology of how to make the world better and uh, such an inspiration, Senator. As we close, we while we are very much in the middle of this pandemic, with vaccines not yet widely available, especially in Black and minority communities, we can begin to have hope towards the end of this year, especially with new leadership in Washington that takes an equitable COVID response seriously. But throughout this pandemic, we've seen learning gaps in our children, with minority children even for falling even further behind. We've seen Americans of color devastatingly affected by this pandemic in both cases and in death rates. And with economic hardships, we've also seen a disastrous and overwhelming consequences in these communities due to COVID. So what, can, what do you see as next post-pandemic that's needed to get our state back on track and get out from under this virus successfully? In terms of education, supporting our teachers, supporting our small businesses and workers, what do you think should be the next step for Florida's elected leaders like us? Well, first, I think Florida, we have we have a responsibility to work with the with the White House. This can't turn into Florida versus the White House uh, for us to try to get out of this pandemic that we're in right now. Uh, and so, you know, my my I, I just admonish the um, the governor to to work with the Biden administration um, and to 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 help get us out of here. Because the faster we can put politics aside. And really work to get out of this. We the quicker we can all get back on with our lives um, in a safe way. Uh, that also includes and then working with the Biden administration to make sure that we we start vaccinating our essential the essential workers next after the 65 and older. And that goes to for our teachers. Um, that goes to our healthcare professionals. And those are the individuals who are on the front line every day. I just got a call yesterday from a dentist who's who's like, listen, I'm I'm although I'm 37, I'm 
you know, I'm coming in contact with these people every day and I can't even get vaccinated, which, which, which is crazy. So, yeah. you know, we have to create a comprehensive distribution plan that's going to, that's going to move us in the direction to get out of this mess that we're in right now. Absolutely. And I, I could not agree more that, that we need to be working with the White House um, and showing, you know, just real unity. I'm getting in front of this pandemic because we know that the only way to get our economy back online, especially here in the state of Florida, that's so reliant on tourism, uh, we've got to get, you know, be working together. We want people to come here. We don't want people seeing right. pictures from the Super Bowl and right. like, come staying away from Florida. Um, right. We want people to come here. And so we've got to all be taking our own personal responsibilities. Um, and that's by masking up and, and we still need to do that and social distance and not going into crowds, being responsible, not going mm -hmm. into stores that, that don't mandate masks. Um, and unfortunately, when we have got new strains of this virus coming out that could be more contagious. So we're not in right. we're not behind this. And, and so we continue having to, to keep this in the forefront of, of talking points, but you know, really trying to emphasize to our constituents, please be responsible. This is no longer, you know, this has never should have never been a, a partisan political game on, on our health and wellness of, of our country. Um, but hopefully now we can kind of move past the, you know, the partisan rhetoric and everybody just realize you got to take personal responsibility, you got to be doing what you need to do to protect yourself and to your family right. members. Um, you know, I know you had COVID very early um, in this mm -hmm. pandemic, but we, we thought it was a death sentence, but, you know, even you, you know, got very sick and you're, you know, you know, younger. Um, and so really you mm -hmm. don't know um, the impact it's going to have on, a, on an individual. Um, so really take those precautions um, every single day. Yep. But Senator, I, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us on this podcast today. Um, but not only that, but for helping us honor Black History Month through your ex extraordinary and exemplary service to our state. I'm so proud to call you a friend and to work alongside you to make a real difference in this state that I know that we both love so much. Yeah, I really thank you for having me uh, on. I really appreciate it. And I, um, I'm looking forward to the work that you will continue to do here in the state of Florida for, for all the 21 million plus people who live here. Uh, and looking forward to us uh, working together to to bring us into a, a a one Florida mindset, which I believe that we we can get to if we work together. I could not agree more. Well, thank you for listening to this special FDAX podcast. And I'm encouraging you to follow our department online at facebook.com slash FDAX. That's F-D-A-C-S. Or on Twitter at FDAX and Nikki Freed FL and on our website, fdax.gov. I wish you a happy and a purposeful Black History Month. Remember to wear a mask, wash your hands, keep your distance, and be kind to one another. Together, we will keep Florida growing. <laughs>